Hello and welcome to the Gathering's Message of the Week. Thank you for listening. It is our prayer that through these messages, God would inspire, challenge, and encourage you. For more information about our church, please visit gatheringtohim.org. That's gathering2him.org. Enjoy and be blessed. Uh, many of you know that uh, we had the fast, you know, we spent time fasting in the beginning of this year and uh, really just seeking God. I think one of the main uh, themes through the fast that we felt like the Lord was speaking to us had to do with uh, growth, reaching the lost, and seeing people's lives be changed. And, uh, and I believe that we're coming into that season. I felt like the Lord also said that He was going to do some other things. But I wanted to share, I, I had not shared any of this with anybody else, but this is a word that I received this morning uh, before church from Jeremy Barkley, and many of you know him. He's a spiritual son to me, and, and uh, also one of the pastors uh, at Oakland United Methodist Church. But anyway, he shared with me this morning that he had a dream last night, and it was about the gathering. And this was the dream. He said, the Lord is forecasting steady rains and harvest. I saw unlikely reapers of the seed sown over the years, gathering the reward of faithful standing and obedience. And what he means is, is that he saw that, that there would be reaping, that we would be reaping the reward of faithful standing and obedience throughout the years, that we would reap that reward. And he said that the grounds were saturated and the rains from the upcoming outpouring will far outlast their laboring and outcry from the people of this house. So the times that we have labored and the times that we have prayed and, and uh, you know, some have, you know, have been in it longer than others and some have joined along as we've gone, but we've been crying out for a move of God and, and uh, for him to do something. And I just felt like this was significant enough to, to speak out over the house this morning. And the Lord says, all hands on deck, as his desire is that you not miss a single blessing that he has in the storehouses for your community. And so, just feeling like the Lord is saying that it's time to be ready, and uh, there's some things coming, good blessings coming, and he gave us Matthew 6, 33, and all these things shall be added unto you. Amen? That was a good word. I'm going to get rid of my phone just in case uh, somebody decides to call me in the midst of the service. Never had that happen yet, but just in case. <clears throat> so you know that we've been talking a lot about money, uh, finances. Um, the truth is, is that there aren't many people that like to talk about money in church. Uh, we figure we might as well hit it head on about every year because uh, that's just who we are. So, <clears throat> you know, when it's an uncomfortable topic... There's a reason it's uncomfortable, most likely because the enemy is at work keeping us in that place, and uh, we want to know what God has to say. We want to know what God is speaking to us, and this is vitally important, especially when you come to the issue of money, you come to the issue of finances, because the Bible, you know, if we really want to be honest, it's in there probably more than anything else, any other topic. And I think that God is very clear. He, he tells us that, you know, the reason that it's in there is because there's this war that goes on between our love for God and our love for the things of this world. And so God says, listen, you can't love both. You can't, there's, you can't be in this middle ground. You can't be, you know, over here loving money and expect that you're going to also love God. You can't do that. You can't love mammon or the things of this life and expect that your love and passion for God is going to be hot and fiery. That's not going to be the case. God says, listen, you're either going to love one and hate the other. You're going to serve one, you know, and despise the other. That's just the way it's going to be. Can't, there's no middle gr ground. There's no middle road. And so <clears throat> this morning, you know, we're going to start in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. I'm going to give a, um, I know that we have talked a lot about 
wisdom and biblical principles in the areas of our finances. Uh, some of you that came to the workshops, we talked about things like saving and, and stuff like that. We, we talked about a whole lot of things, debt and credit and all of these things, and there's a lot of wisdom in this. But today, I want to focus in on some things that I think trump all. They trump all. That's what we want to talk about. So, <clears throat> This is what Jesus said. I'm gonna, we're just going to go ahead and start. I'm sorry, I said chapter 12, I believe. But did I mean that? Let me make sure. I don't think I meant that. I think I meant 11... Verse 37. As Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. And so he went in and took his place at the table. His host was amazed to see that he had sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. And then the Lord said to him, You Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish. But inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools, didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor, and you will be clean all over. What sorrow awaits you Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So we're just going to stop right there. <clears throat> it's interesting that Jesus, you know, sitting in this house of this Pharisee, you know, starts into the issue of money. Once again, he's talking about money, finances. And he says, you guys are careful to keep everything on the outside looking pretty. That everybody can see all this good stuff that you do, but the reality is, is that inside, inwardly, you know, he called them whitewashed tombs. He called them many things about the inside of their life was dirty, unclean. And I find it interesting that he says, and I think maybe, I've, I know that I've read this, but maybe over the years I've missed this little tidbit here, that Jesus actually says that one of the ways that we keep the inside of the cup clean, one of the ways that we do this is by giving to those who have need. We keep the inside of the cup clean by giving, he says, giving to the poor, giving gifts to the poor. Giving to people who have need. He says, then you'll be clean all over. Again, that's back to this issue of money. And of course, he tells them, you know, you tithe the, the tiniest bit of the herbs of your garden. So they're living under the law. And uh, I'm going to jump into that in a minute. But they were living under the law on the issue of tithing. And Jesus says, you know, you're tithing, but you're missing the issue of love and mercy. You're missing this issue of, of justice and mercy. And he says, these are more important issues, you know, justice and mercy. And he says, these are the most important things. However, he also says, don't miss it. You still should tithe. Don't miss it. He says this. Um, so this morning, I want to talk to you about two areas that I think are very vital to your life with the Lord. Two areas of, of, of money and two areas of giving and I believe it has to do with tithing, and I believe it has to also do with giving money to the poor, offerings, and where you give offerings. So we're going to start off with tithing. Uh, one of the most popular passages concerning this is in Malachi, and I'm going to read it quick. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, if you're trying to find it. I believe that there's a lot of very important things in the book of Malachi, uh, and this is one of them. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. God says, I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. For ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? 
You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, and your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So, in this passage, the Old Testament, and I would love to take more time to describe tithing. I'm just going to go over a few quick principles, and I'm not going to take you to these passages because we don't have time to do this today. But I just want you to understand that tithing was for them an issue. And obviously you read about it in the book uh, when we were talking about it in Luke. We read about the issue of it being an issue of law. Where they had made it an issue of law. But I want you to understand that tithing is before the law. Uh, Abraham was the, was the first witness to this. We see Abraham, and this is long before the law existed. Abraham had recovered some stolen goods and property that had been taken by a bunch of robbers and thieves and hoarders, and they had come in and and swept over the land and robbed several kings, kingdoms, of their people and of all that they owned. And one of the uh, the people that got taken was also Abraham's nephew, Lot. And so Lot had no interest in what was going on, except that there was, his nephew had been taken, and and he's, okay, I'm going to get involved in this. Now, these kings couldn't take these guys, but Abraham, for some reason, was able, because the blessing of the Lord was, that was on him, with all of his men in his family, and all the, uh, all the men in his, uh, as his servants, and the people that he had hired, went after these robbers, went after these people, and recovered everything that was stolen. When they did, they came back, and they came back with everything that was taken, they came back with all the people, and all the goods, and the kings were like, <clears throat> you know... You should keep all the goods, but please just give us our people back. And he said, no, I won't take one single thing from you. I won't take anything from you. However, there was another guy, one of the other kings. It was king of Salem. His name was Melchizedek. And when he showed up, he pronounced a blessing. He was both a king and a priest of God. And the scripture says that he pronounced a blessing over Abraham. And it had to do with how he would become the father of many nations. And he would be a great man and all these things. And the truth is, is that when Abraham received this blessing, he gave him a tenth of everything that he had taken back from these robbers. He said, listen, I'm going to give you one tenth. This was a tithe, because tithe actually means literally one tenth. That's what it means, one tenth. So we see that Abraham did this, and the Bible tells us that Abraham did this to this guy named Melchizedek. In the New Testament, it references this and says that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham because Abraham tithed to him. And because Melchizedek pronounced a blessing over him. And whoever pronounces the blessing over is greater than the one who receives the blessing. And so we see that there's this this relationship between Abraham and Melchizedek where we sometimes go, oh, well, you know, he just did this out of the goodness of his heart, but he was a priest of God. And Abraham recognized that and said, listen, you pronounce the blessing over me, I receive it, and I'm giving it to you. I'm giving you a tenth of everything that I've taken. And uh, the scripture tells us in the New Testament that Melchizedek was a type of Christ to Abraham uh, because he was both a king and a priest. And he was, I'm just telling you what the New Testament says, it says he was greater than Abraham. That's what it says. Abraham recognized it as such, and now we know that Abraham is the father of our faith because of his, the spiritual uh, lineage that has been passed down from generation to generation of faith in what God says, which is, by the way, how we have salvation. So, Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. Later on, the people of Israel began to form a nation. God said, this is how I want it to go. This is what I want you to do. And this was one of the laws that God passed down to them. And he said, I want all of the people of Israel, all of the tribes of Israel, to give a tenth of what they receive in their harvest and in their their livestock and everything that they have. I want them to give a tenth 
to, now some of you might say, to the temple. But that's not what God said. God said, I want you to give it to the priests. I want you to give it to the Levites and the priests. And he said, you give that as an offering because they have no allotment of land. I'm giving each of you an allotment of land, and this will be their inheritance. Whatever you give to them, whatever you give as a tenth, will be for, their, uh, for them to eat and for them to be taken care of as a family in their own lives because they're not getting an allotment of land. Do you understand what was happening? God said, I want you to give it to the Levites and the priests. Now, uh, it didn't stop there. The Levites and the priests were then commanded by God right after that. So God said, I want you, the Levites and the priests, then to tithe on up. I want you to tithe as well. I want you to tithe, and, they all, and it was to tithe to Aaron and the high priest. Whoever was the high priest at the time, they tithed up. Which, by the way, I just want you to know that's the principle that we follow. Number one, we believe this, that God didn't say to tithe to a temple, to a building, to an organization. He said to tithe to people. Now, they were also given the tithe for this purpose, not only to take care of the priests and the Levites, but also that they were to distribute it to the, to the widow and the orphan and the stranger. They were to take care of those who had need among them. And so there was the idea that the tithe also went to take care of the needs of the people, you know, within uh, the body of people of Israel. And so we see that this is how the tithe worked. This is how it was supposed to work. Take care of the, those who are watching over your soul. Take care of those who are take care of you spiritually. This is what it's for. And it's to take care of those who have need among you. The widow and the orphan. People who are poor. People who have needs. And also the stranger. Could this represent evangelism today? You know, reaching the lost. Reaching those outside of our body. So we see this in the Old Testament. This is the Old Testament law. So... We have two witnesses. Before the law, during the law, I read in Malachi where God says, listen, you're robbing me. You're under a curse. Bring it back into the storehouse. And what was the storehouse for? Take care of the priest, the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. This is what it was for. So, Jesus, and for those of you who, who struggle with this, I believe that this is the answer. You know, some of us, we have heard it said before, or maybe we were part of this argument. I don't know. But somebody has come along and they have said, listen, that was all the Old Testament law. Jesus never spoke to tithing. Well, I just proved to you that he did. Jesus actually said, listen, don't forget the more important things of mercy and love. Tithe, yes, but don't forget these things. That's enough for me. That's enough for me. But... In case it's not enough for you, just in case, I want you to think for a moment, then what witness do we adhere to? Whose word do we adhere to then? Well, the church has been built on a foundation, and we know that a foundation is not to be moved, correct? The foundation is the place that we build upon. It's the strong place. It doesn't get moved. It's what the whole house is built on. When we get off up here somewhere in the building... We have to go back to the foundation to correct things. We have to keep the foundation strong. So, the foundation was laid in the book of Acts, right? Jesus initiated his church with 12 apostles, the apostles of the Lamb, initiated his church right there. And then we see that they begin to see people get saved. The day of Pentecost happens, 3,000 get saved, the church is initiated, amen? And it just begins to roll like thunder out through the land. People were getting changed everywhere. The book of Acts is an amazing thing. And do you know what it says in the book of Acts? Let's read it. Acts chapter 2. In verse 42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. 
And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Sounds like good times, doesn't it? Then it says this, this radical statement which nobody likes to hear. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And we can flip over to chapter 4, verse 32. The church is continuing to grow. We have now 5,000 plus you know, men counting women and, and women and not counting women and children, I'm sorry. But it says the church is growing. Verse 32 says this, all the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own and so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned, listen to this, those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. I think it doesn't sound so bad now, does it? Listen, because last time I checked, I, had, I haven't had this happen in a very long while. I haven't had anybody come to me saying, you know what, we sold some property. We sold a house. I don't see any volunteers. You know, you don't want to live under the Old Testament law. You claim it's the Old Testament law. You don't want to live under that, but let's live under the grace of the New Testament. Because in God's grace, okay, so we understand that the law was a form or a type or a shadow. So it wasn't what was real. What is real is what we experience now today. Amen? So Jesus came along and he said, listen, you know, forget the law. You say... You know, don't, uh, don't commit adultery. That's what the law says, right? Don't commit adultery. But I say unto you, any man who looks at a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery. Man, that disqualifies a lot of guys. I mean, the level, the bar just went here. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, in his mercy and grace, it's not I, I have to. You see, the law is an attitude of what can I get away with? What, what is the bare minimum that I have to do to satisfy and appease God? In this relationship, this new relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, we don't live that way anymore. Now we live above it. We live higher than the law. We live in a new place. The law was just a type and a shadow. Now we live in a place where God says, I want you to understand my grace and mercy, my generosity. And everybody who has a relationship with him doesn't live like, how much can I get away with? They live with, God, I love you. you. Everything I have is yours. I love you. Everything I have is yours. So, I really don't think that argument's valid anymore. I do think that tithing is a baseline. It's a... It's, it's a it's a principle. It's a baseline principle. And of course, we don't live under the law. But let's think about it. What does that really mean? It really means that we live under this idea of the abundancy of God. So now I live with the, I live with the same generosity and abundancy that God gives to me. The Bible says that God gives liberally to those that ask. Hallelujah. He's a liberal giver. Praise God that he's liberal in this way. So many things we want to talk about. There's so many passages on this. But I just want to say, without staying on tithing forever, because I, I know that this church is, we are so blessed. I mean, so blessed. There's so many people here that believe in this and do this. I know of plenty of other churches who are two and three times our size that don't have the tithing that we have. That's amazing. Praise God, because he's also showed us the blessings in it. Amen? I believe that everyone here has, who has walked in this and has, by faith, tested this, God has shown himself strong on behalf of. I've never not seen him do it. But I want to go back to Luke chapter 12. 
And before I read that, I want to say one more thing about tithing. This is why I think it's, it's significant and important to understand tithing, not to an organization, not to, um, <clears throat> not to the idea of uh, please forgive me, it's also not the idea of looking at it like it's, you know, I can give it wherever I want it. The reason that we say it, you're tithing to somebody that watches over your souls because we see this in the scripture, we see it fulfilled. I mean, you give it to the apostles, they watch over the soul of the people. But the reality is this, is God says this stuff over and over and over again. God says that he places the lonely in families. He, he plants us. He, he, it's the planting of the Lord. You know, where we put down roots. And the, the truth is, is that if I don't see it as giving to someone who watches over my soul, then I don't understand authority. And I don't understand that God actually wants me to be belong somewhere. And I will think that my tithe is really meant for, you know, I can give it to the TV. How does that affect you? The, the guy that's on TV preaching. I can stay home I have nobody actually walking with me. Nobody's speaking into my life on a weekly basis. There's no relationship. The kingdom is relationship. Now listen, offerings are a different story. If God says to you, hey, I want you to give to that guy on TV, that's an offering. You can give offerings wherever God is laying on your heart. Or if God says, you know, there is this... this uh, this cause I want you to give to, or this thing I want you to do, or there's somebody in the store that you see, and you don't know them from anybody, but God says, hey, I would like you to give them $100. I'd like you to give them whatever, and you go do it. That's an offering. It's an offering. You're giving it to those who maybe have need. I'm going to talk about all giving here in a little bit, but Luke chapter 12 Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Then when someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And then he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Anybody else think this sounds like retirement? <laughs> but God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night, and then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. <clears throat> and I, I just want to say this. I think that we need to take this, you know, with balance. We need to understand something. I believe all the things that we taught over the last week or so, you know, about saving and, and those kind of things and storing up for the future and retirement, Please understand, we agree with those principles. They're true. I mean, you can even find those things in the Word. But Jesus is coming to us, saying to us, listen, the most important thing, the most important thing that you can do isn't store up wealth for you to retire in this life. Instead, it's to have a relationship with God, to have a rich relationship with Him. Who's going to get all your wealth when you're dead? And then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the, at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them, and you are far more valuable to him than any birds. In all your worries, add a single moment to your life. And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying about bigger ones, bigger things? The issue is people are worrying about what their money. They're worrying about their finances. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. 
And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you everything you need. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. A lot of our issues in life, especially, I mean, the truth is, is that we know that this country has more money, you know, in personal homes, people's homes. We, have, we technically have more money than most anywhere in the world. Yet, we're some of the most anxiety-filled people of the world. Let me take you to Africa and see joy all over people who have nothing, who live in peace. We worry and fret and we're scared constantly that we're going to lose or not have enough. And we think about money all the time. Jesus says, listen, there's a problem with your heart when it's like that. This is what the guy was doing who was storing up all his wealth for the end. And finally, when he thought he got there, it was all taken from him anyway. God says, that's not how I want you to live. Jesus says, that is not the principle of the kingdom. This is not for you. Because anxiety and worry and fear about all of these things reveal that our heart is not on the kingdom. It's on our own self-preservation, our own lives. Jesus says, so don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. He's turning their focus from the things of this world to the, the kingdom. The kingdom is eternal. Last forever. Amen? These things are temporary and are taken from us. Sometimes people store up and still lose. It happens. Talk to people in the Great Depression. It happened. They lost everything. Jesus says, if you want to protect your heart, if you want to protect your heart, if you want to set your sights on the realities of the kingdom, this is what you do. You do the opposite of what the world does. And we don't always like to talk about this stuff. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it, and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So if you store your treasure not here, if you don't store it in your bank account, your, you know, your 401k, but you're storing, you're seeking to store it there, you're, you're a giver, you... I mean, this is, the, this is what he's saying. Be a giver, because if you're a giver, you're protecting your heart. Your heart is set on the things of the kingdom of God, not on the things of the world below. <clears throat> God sometimes says to us, you know, I want you to invest here. I want you to do this. I want you to do this with your money. And then the temptation with that is that we don't stop to think, why does he want us to do this? Is it just for our own personal gain that we build our own kingdom or is it that he wants us actually to be kingdom givers, that we would resource the kingdom, the work of God, that we would do these kinds of things? He says, because if you want to protect your heart, because you, you can't serve both God and money, you've got to choose one or the other. Don't store up here where moth and rust are going to destroy it, where 
it's going to get taken from you. Some thieves might come in and steal. It can happen. Do I still believe in saving? Yes, I do. I believe in that. But I also believe that that's not our main focus. It's not, it's not the point. Listen, the scripture tells us you were born naked. You were born with nothing. You had nothing when you came into this world. When you leave, that's how you're going out. This is such a short amount of time compared to eternity. It's nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. It's not even that. It's, it's nothing compared to eternity. Eternity is what matters. And he's saying, listen, store up treasure there. That's more important than here. Better to go out with nothing, have given it all away, than to fatten your wallet. Giving protects the heart. And I'm going to tell you something else. Giving also attracts God's attention. By the way, I believe that if you're a giver, the scripture tells us the next truth is that you'll never be without. The only problem is, do you believe it? Do you believe that? If you're a giver, if you understand giving, sowing, and reaping, the scripture tells us one of the most base forms is giving in the natural, giving what we have, giving finances, or giving things that we have to other people who need them. The truth is, is that we will not be without. The scripture tells us those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Giving attracts God's attention. Cornelius, the man, the first Gentile man officially to receive in his whole family, he was a, a Roman officer and a wealthy man who had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, his whole family. Remember, Peter had the sheep vision and he had to go to this guy's house. It was Cornelius. Now, before all of this happened, Cornelius was one day, he was praying and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, hey, listen, God has been watching you and he is attentive to your prayers. He is listening to you and you have earned his favor right now. You have earned his attention. Why? There were two reasons. One, because of his prayer life. He sat before the presence of God and sought God, called on the name of God. He called on him because he wanted God's attention. He said, God, I need you. I need you. Second thing was, he gave to the poor. He gave to those who had need. He didn't hold on to what he had. He was a giver. And the scripture tells us that when he did this, angel of God showed up face-to-face -face encounter with him, and he says, listen, this is some supernatural stuff that's going to take place in your life. I mean, it would have been enough for me to have an angel show up. Ah! There's an angel of God! But it wasn't done. It wasn't over. He said, listen, now I want you to send a couple men down to Joppa. You go ahead and get this guy named Peter. He's going to come. He's going to bring the message of salvation. And you're all going to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Your whole household. I mean, it didn't end there. And I'm sure that there were more mighty, miraculous things. Their whole household was filled with the Spirit, received salvation, baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and prophesying. That sounds like a big win to me. That was his house. His whole house received that. Why? All because of his prayer life and because he was a giver. Givers attract the attention of God. <clears throat> Givers attract the attention of God. They attract his favor. I want to take you to Mark chapter 6. You know, there's some great... Miracles that took place in the New Testament. Great ones. Jesus did amazing things. But there are two here that I think that, you know, we read about and we think that's awesome, but we, I don't think that we really get it. Now, these two miracles are almost identical. But at the same time, they're both very, very powerful. 
In verse 30 of chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour because he had sent them out and they came back and they told him all that they had done and taught. And then Jesus said, you know what? We're all pretty tired. You guys are tired from your trip, you're traveling, your ministry. I'm tired. Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. And he said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Let me just say something right now. A lot of people want to get into ministry. They want to see the miraculous move of God. You want to have no time to eat? I mean, sometimes we don't realize what we, what we think we want. It is going to take sacrifice. It takes service. People being willing to lay down their life to see the kingdom of God. Actually, it's, God wants to move in power. He's looking for people who are willing to do this. He says, so they left by boat for a quiet place. Now, there is rest. There's a time to rest. They left where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. They couldn't even get away. Couldn't get away. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples had enough, and they came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. I don't think this was out of compassion. I think this was out of self-preservation. We're dead tired. We're really hungry. Please send them home. This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. Please send them away. But Jesus said, famous words, you feed them. You feed them. And you know, they all said, yes, sir. Not at all. With what? With what are we going to feed them? We don't have anything. They asked, we have, we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. It's just not even feasible, Jesus. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. And I'm sure that when they came back with that report, <laughs> they were actually a little pleased in their heart. We just don't have enough. There's a couple little you know, pieces of bread here and some fish. I don't think it's going to make it, Jesus. It's just not going to happen. And Jesus doesn't say anything about how little they have. He just takes what they have. He told the disciples, have the people sit down in groups, of, uh, in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. And Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up toward heaven and blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples and so that they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share, and they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed from those loaves. I love these stories total of 5,000 men and their families. Let's just assume that most of the men were married and most of the men had children. Let's assume that. We're looking at somewhere between 10 and 15,000 people, at least, just got fed with how many loaves and how many fish? This is five loaves of bread and two fish. And it says that everyone, Everyone, no one was excluded. Everyone ate as much as they wanted. There wasn't one person hungry, but there were even leftovers. By the way, everyone ate as much as they wanted, even the disciples. The disciples who did the feeding, even they got to eat as much as they wanted. And they got to pick up 12 baskets of leftovers. 12 baskets of leftovers after that. All ate as much as they wanted. 
Mark chapter 8. Verse 1. About this time, another large crowd had gathered, and the people ran out of food again. And Jesus called his disciples and told them, You know, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will faint along the way, for some of them have come a long distance. Notice how last time, the first scenario, Jesus said, they came and they said, send these people home, and Jesus said, no, you feed them. This time, Jesus brings up the subject. They're ignoring the subject. (laughs) You know, we're tired. We don't want to do this. And Jesus says to them, hmm, guys, I'm starting to feel bad for these people. They look hungry. They look tired. I'm afraid they're going to faint on the way home. And the disciples know what he's getting at. You'd think after doing one of these, the second time around, they would have a different attitude. But his, and he was even testing them. I believe this was a test. This is why he didn't say, you feed them. He said, I think they're hungry. They're looking a little tired. They're looking a little hungry. Hmm. His disciples reply, how are we supposed to find enough food to feed all these people out here in the wilderness? They know what's going on. And then Jesus asked, how much bread do you have? Seven loaves, they replied. And so Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. And then he looked, took the seven loaves and thanked God for them. And he broke them into pieces. He gave them to, the, to his disciples and distributed the bread to the crowd. A few small fish were found too. And Jesus, so Jesus also blessed these and told the disciples to distribute them. They ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. And there were about 4,000 people in the crowd that day. And Jesus sent them home after they had eaten. Immediately after this, he got into a boat with his disciples and crossed over to the region of Dalmanutha. Two scenarios, two miracles that are almost virtually identical. By the way, if you read this in... Matthew uh, or Luke, you come to find out that it, it says that there were 4,000 people and their families again. So again, we're probably over 10,000 people just got fed with a few small loaves and a couple fish. But I want to point out a couple things that Jesus did here. This scenario is the same, so we can kind of take it as a pattern that maybe Jesus is following. It's not just something happenstance, but Jesus did everything with purpose. And I think that we can see some principles in these passages that we could take to the bank ourselves. This is how God would want us to function. Number one, there's a lot of times that we feel like it's not our responsibility or we're tired or the people around us, you know, it's, it's a daunting task. It's overwhelming for us to do anything about what we see, right? Like, what can I do to help? I don't really have the resources. And sometimes because of that, we disqualify ourselves and we look away. Maybe we're selfish. Maybe we feel like we just, you know, we want to take care of our own. You know, I have my own family. I have my own needs, my own problems. Maybe that's what's going on inside of us. But I think that the, the question that we have to really identify within ourselves is, are we willing to feed them? Are we willing to, Jesus says, you feed them. You feed them. And the next question is going to be, with what? Uh, I don't think that God cares about what you have. Do you understand? When it comes to, when he's calling us to be faithful with what he's given to us, it doesn't matter whether you feel like you're rich or poor. I don't think that matters. I don't think it matters if you, don't sit around comparing yourself to anybody else, in other words. That's not going to help you. God is not concerned about how you look next to your neighbor. The only thing he's concerned about is, will you feed them? Will you do it? Will you feed them? 
And you might say, with what? And he's going to say, not what don't you have? Because that's how we like to reply. That's how the apostles reply. That's how the disciples reply. We don't have enough food to feed them, and Jesus didn't ever ask them how much they didn't have. He only asked them, what do you have? What do you have? You might feel like you don't have two nickels to rub together, but that means you have at least one nickel. He said, it doesn't matter what you have, but whatever you have, that's what I'm asking you to look at, not what you don't have. And he took what they brought. Now, you and I both know that thousands of people being fed by a few small fish is so miraculous. That is unbelievable almost. But we believe it. We believe it. He took these things that they had and when they offered it to him willingly, gave it to them, he multiplied it. Now, how did he multiply? First of all, I think our attitude needs to be, Father, I thank you for what you've given me. I may only have a few small fish and, and a couple loaves of bread, but I thank you that you have given me this. I thank you, because that's what Jesus did. It was the same pattern, both places. First thing he did was, he took it, lifted it up before God. He said, Father, I thank you that you've given us this. Thank you for this bread. Thank you for this, this uh, fish. Thank you for what we have. And then he blessed it. He said, Father, I bless this. This gift that you have given, we bless it right now, and we just declare your blessing over it. That it may feed all of these people. I don't know the exact words, but that's kind of the words I might say. God, we just declare that you have blessed this for the feeding of your people. And it says, then he began to distribute. He gave it away. He gave it away. Here, hand it to him. Give it to him. With the risk that they might go hungry that night. You know, there's a risk this is only going to feed two or three people. Out of the thousands. But he gave it away. And as they were giving it away... Somehow, someway, it continued to be multiplied. As he broke it, he gave it, continued to break it. By the way, I've heard of this miracle happening today. I've heard of people distributing toys in Africa and reaching in the bag and reaching in the bag and knowing they don't have enough, but they just keep reaching in the bag and there's always another toy in there to give for Christmas. What do you have? It's not what you don't have, but just keep reaching in the bag. Because I think that that's what Jesus was doing. And it says that when they gave like this, when they gave it away, it says all ate as much as they wanted. Not only did all the people out there eat as much as what they wanted, but also the disciples got to eat as much as they wanted. Not just did they eat what they wanted, but they also picked up 12 baskets of leftovers the first round, and it says seven large baskets the next round. So I'm assuming that there's, it's probably pretty close. 12 regular normal baskets, and then seven large baskets, and so they had abundance of leftovers for each one of them. I think it's funny, you know, 12 baskets of leftovers, there's 12 disciples you know, each of them gets an abundance back into their lap because they gave. They were willing to give. The issue isn't what you don't have, it's what you do have. And what are you willing to give? It says that all ate. The scripture is very clear. According to the measure that you give, according to the measure you give, it will be given unto you. Give and it will be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, full and running over, spilling into your lap. And these disciples experienced that. I believe they experienced it. <clears throat> God is about giving and he's about generosity. And I believe that if you live by those two principles, if you live with a generous heart, giving heart, I don't believe that your bread and your oil will run dry. The widow who received the prophet of God, by the way, received the prophet of God. The prophet says to her, listen, 
you know, feed me, make me your last meal, give it to me. And when she did this, she never ran out of oil or bread. There was always enough. There was always enough. She just kept reaching in the jar. Look, there's another meal here. There's another meal here. Every time, there's always enough. And I believe this is the principle of the kingdom. God tells us this over and over and over again. And I want, to, I want you to understand something. I have seen this in my own life over and over and over again. I had a really dark period one time, uh, just going through, this wasn't too many years ago, but going through a really dark period for myself, just struggling, saying, God, where are you at in all these areas of my life? Where are you at? Where are you moving? Why aren't you moving? And yes, I'm supposed to be a man of faith, but I also struggle sometimes. I mean, let's just be real. This is a war, and we're all in it. And so here I was, I was fighting, and I was struggling, and I was asking God, where are you at, and where are you at for this, and where are you at? And we were struggling with, we, we said, God, there were a whole lot of factors playing into the fact, that, or the desire for us to want another place to live, you know, another house. And there were some things that we desired for that. And I'll never forget, I was at a conference, I was away from home, I was at a conference, and I had been crying out to God, oh God, where are you at, why aren't you doing this, and why, you know, we don't have finances for this, or this, or that, or the other thing, and on and on and on. And I remember while I was in this conference, they were lifting an offering for a special need that they were going to do. They were going to give money to something so somewhere. It was for, I don't know what it was. It was, it was to give for people that had need. <clears throat> and you know, I was going to pass that by with just giving a little bit and just, you know, maybe ignoring it. And all of a sudden, I felt like I needed to ask God, what do you want me to give? And God said, I want you to give da, 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 so much amount. It was not a small amount. It wasn't like a couple bucks. This was a lot. And it was especially a lot for us in this time period. And we were like, I was like, Chelsea wasn't there. And uh, so what do you do when she's not there? Thank God we have cell phones. So I am struggling. I'm like, God, you really want me to give this amount? you want me to give this much? And, uh, and so I dismissed myself from the conference. I went out into the foyer and I called Chelsea. And I said, "Hun, I got to ask you something. I'm at this conference. They're lifting an offering. I prayed. I felt like God spoke to me and I can't escape it. He said, I'm to give this amount. And you know, you always put this fleece out. Like, God, if this is really you, or if this isn't you, I'm going to know because she's not going to be on board, right? We're one. And I will tell you what, my wife has always been like this. And I should have known better. Because I was hoping for somebody to stop me. <laughs> but she has always been like this. I said, you know, I'm thinking she's going to have this moment of explosion. Like, what? Because it's a lot. And I said, I'm think, I think I'm supposed to give this amount. And she said, well, if you believe it's the Lord, let's do it. <laughs> you were supposed to help. And so I did. I felt like it was confirmation that she was willing. And I went back in and I gave this amount and came back home. When I came back home, it wasn't long. All of these crazy breakthroughs happened right after that. For us, crazy breakthroughs. We were stunted in this place. Now, I want to say to you, they weren't just financial. But I can tell you that the number that the Lord gave to me was not a normal number. It was not like an even, you know, 100 or 200 or 300. It wasn't an even number. It was like, da, da, da. And I gave that number. And the funny thing was, is that whenever we sold our house, that that number was 1%, it was just 1% of the number that God blessed us with over the time, and not just selling our house, but the many other things that came to us at that time. It was 1%. We added it all up. It was 1%. And I said, God, you just wanted 1%? I thought that was huge. It was just 1%. It was a test of my faith. Will I give? Will I, will I be willing to give? And you know the moment that I gave something happened on the inside of my heart. 
You know, you sit there, you hear about an offering, and you sit there and you go, man, don't ask the Lord. You know, you really just, you're like, you kind of avoid, you, just, you pass the offering plate quick, or whatever it might take. Let's just move past this, because I really don't want to address this in my life. But what if God would say, I want you to give this amount. I want you to do this. What if he would say to you that, and you're missing an opportunity for a blessing? The reality is, I don't believe this is true. That you, I don't believe that if you give, God is like, that wasn't enough. If you heard God and you gave what he said, then God will honor what you gave. He will honor it. We lived in this church, you know, for years. We, we never really had to say, you know, we're struggling here with the, the tithes and offerings. And about that same time, we were falling into this heavy spell over the church. Our tithes and offerings started going drying up. We just got so super tight and small. And we, God still took care of us. He was still taking care of us. But we were like, God, you have to really take care. I mean, we were believing him for every little dot and tittle, you know, everything that he had to do. We were believing him for that. And then suddenly the Lord began to speak to us. We need to, we need to talk about What's going on in front of the congregation? We need to begin to talk, teach on giving and sowing. And we need to teach on these things because we had new people in our congregation. We had young people in our congregation without jobs. We had all kinds of things going on that we saw were problems, struggles. So we stood up several years ago. We stood up and we began to preach on tithing and giving and all of these things. And we said, listen, if you give. See, I have people come to me all the time and they say, will you pray for me, pastor? Will you pray that I get a better job? Will you pray that my income increases? And there was a time I might have just flippantly said, okay, let me pray for you. But I came under conviction. And I changed my attitude about that because the scripture says, Malachi, one of the first passages that we read, it says that if you don't give in these ways, if you don't bring your tithes and offerings it says that you're under a curse. You're under a curse. So I didn't say that. God said that. And who am I to try to pray against what God said? So my attitude had changed. And I said, I can't, I'm not going to pray against what God says in his word. Now, that being said, if you give tithes and offerings, if that's something that's on your heart, you want to be a giver. Listen, I'm not sitting there measuring it. Why don't I sit around and look you know, at your finances unless you come to me and you want me to do that with you. But I don't do that. I don't sit around eyeballing everything that you're doing. But the reality is if you tell me, yes, I feel the conviction in my heart to do this. This is how I want to live. I, you know, and that's where you're headed. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you that God will do exactly what he said, that he will bless you so great you won't be able to take it all in. And that's not just with finances. Amen? Cornelius' blessing was not just with finances. It was the outpouring of his presence and spirit. Listen, this is a principle of the kingdom. And so, we stood up here and we talked about that. He said, if this is what you want to commit to, and you're making that commitment, then we commit to praying for you as a congregation that God will bless you with jobs and better jobs and increase your finances. Supernatural finances will come. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Right? A lot of you were here for that. We prayed for that. We did that for an entire year. We made that our focus. So oftentimes we would lift the offering up before you. And we would declare the blessing of the Lord over everyone who gave. And we also prayed that if they weren't giving, if they had not started to do that, that God would bring conviction. Because we want you to be blessed. That you would be convicted of the truth. That this is God's heart. And so we prayed that way. Who here was there the day, the year anniversary, year anniversary from when we started to do that and the day that we did testimony time? Who was here and who knows how long we went? We were here till 1.30 in the afternoon. I finally had to, we had to shut down the testimonies because everybody had a testimony. Everybody had a testimony. And all of you who were here, you know. 
So then the next week, we had to do it again and finish up the testimonies. That's how many testimonies we had. You cannot tell me that God isn't faithful to this. He's faithful to his word. It's the most basic principle in the word. And I believe it for you. And listen, we don't believe that God just wants you to fatten your wallet. Though he wants to bless you. But listen, if you're going to be a giver, that means you're not holding on to what you have. You're going to give freely. Then he can fill your hands. If your hands are closed, I mean, he can't fill your hands. But if your hands are open, he will fill your hands. He will fill your hands full. And I believe that for this house. I believe that for you. And so what we started to do is now every anniversary, beginning of the year, we want to take time to, to talk about finances and we want to take time to bless you for jobs and better jobs, bless your businesses, bless what God has given you to put your hands to. If that's something that you agree with, if you agree with that word that you want to be able to give to the purposes of the kingdom, that's what we're going to do for you here today. We're going to pray for you and bless you. Um, I'm going to tell you something. I believe this to be true. Yes, we are to live wisely with saving, with uh, you know, being smart with our finances, doing what is best with our finances, all of those things. I agree with that. <clears throat> but I always say this. If you will keep the principle of giving in your life, you can make a lot of mistakes and God still will take care of you covers over a lot of those mistakes. I know it to be true. I've seen it with people's lives. I've seen it in my own life. God is gracious and merciful, and he wants to show himself strong on your behalf. If you're willing to be a giver, and this is your heart, this is who you want to be, then we want to pray that over you today. I'm going to ask all of our elders to come forward, their spouses, all of them to come forward. And we just want to form teams up here. Uh, we'll do pairs. Teams of two so that we can keep moving. And uh, we just invite you to come forward to receive prayer, to receive blessing of the Lord. We, we believe in the power of blessing. Like, you can lay your hands on someone and pray a blessing over them and impart that blessing to them. It's what we believe for. And uh, so we will agree with the principles of God. And we just want to invite you to come forward and receive that blessing this morning. And... Uh, we look forward to the continued testimonies of what God will continue to do in your life. Would you please stand? <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. You are a faithful, faithful, faithful God. I think about the book of Revelation, the sash that you wore, Jesus, across your chest that said faithful and true. You're faithful and true to what you say. Nothing you said can be changed, nor will it be changed. God, I thank you that there's a whole group of people here today who have said we want to agree with you. We want to agree with what you say, and Lord, we stand in what you say. We believe for the blessing of God. We believe for increases in multiplication, jobs and better jobs. As we give and we sow, we know this is your promise to us. 